Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. In this episode, we take a slightly different stance because I'm being interviewed today by Maya Fisher-French. Maya is a financial journalist based in Cape Town and we discuss life transitions. One of them dealing with your elderly parents. The second part talks more about life changes. And then lastly, the third part contains dealing with the death of a partner or a spouse in the family. We hope you enjoy this slightly different take with an extended episode with Maya Fisher-French. Thank you. Right, so, so Louis and I uh, landed up having coffee one day because I was absolutely fascinated by the speciality of la- major life transitions. So I think, Louis, on your profile, it sort of said things like, um, you know, divorce, death, well, obviously not your own death because that's happened, but the death of a spouse, uh, divorce. And I think these are all life transitions we're going to face, whether we like it or not. I mean, we're going to go through one of those. And then as part of this conversation, we started talking about my poor mom, who is moving into a retirement village, and the emotions and the admin and I think to some extent the trauma um, around this. So Louis and I have decided we're going to do a series of podcasts around transition moments. But because of my mom, we're going to start with aging. Um, and, and Louis, I mean, you know, I, I suppose this, this podcast is relevant whether you are someone in that process um, or you're the adult child like me dealing with it. I mean, how frequently do you come across sort of dealing with these situations? Maya, I think every time a client reaches out to us, it's because money is moving. And when money changes, life changes. And when life changes, money changes. So almost everything starts with a change in what's happening. Because if you stay the same, then what's You know, there's no reason for you to seek help. But when there's life-changing events, and we call that life transitions, specifically because the American Financial Transitionist Institute termed it that way. And that's really when you're going through a big change in your life. It could be positive. It could be winning the lottery or getting a big inheritance that you didn't expect. Um, And that can have an equal impact as a negative 
life transition. So losing a spouse, maybe being retrenched. Because both of them, your brain almost shuts down when it comes to decision making. Mm. So it's very interesting dealing with clients and family members, you know, when they go through these life transitions, because there's so much that can go wrong. It's so true. And I want to talk to you a little bit later about that shutting down of the brain, because we all face it whenever we're overwhelmed by something, our brain starts to shut down. That's not always the best thing that you really need to be doing at the time, especially when there's money involved. But let's let's go, let's talk about this thing about aging, about retiring. Mm. Why is it such a difficult time in our lives? You know, whether that's retiring from work or like my mom, I mean, she's 80, so it's not retirement, but it's moving house, it's downsizing to a village why is the why are these particularly challenging times it's supposed to be things you know are coming you've planned for them but why why do we struggle so much with those i think sometimes it's planned and sometimes it's not so with the transitionist institute we talk about the four stages of life transition and that starts out with anticipation so that's as you mentioned you know we're planning for something you're waiting for this event to happen then there's ending this event has now happened, you've been retrenched, your spouse has, has passed, or you've sold your property that you've lived in for 40 years. And that's almost the easy part. Then comes the part that we call passage, and that's the messy middle. That's when you, know, you lose your sense of identity and you struggle to put things back together. And ultimately, moving through this, you get to the final phase, which is what we call the new normal. And that's where you can look back on your transition and you can actually see how you've grown as a person. Be that negative or positive. There's something that you can take away from that. But going through that is hard. You know, it's emotionally difficult. Um, it's change. And I think as humans, we're not very good with change. You know, we want to stay with the things that we know and the things that we're comfortable. And all of a sudden something changes and we kick against it and we don't want to do it. And if you can imagine someone in an elderly position, there might be very little things that they still have control over. So now you overlay that on top of this life transition, on top of the financial decisions, and it all just becomes a big mess, and that's the messy middle part. And that that, that sense of agency, I've really seen yeah. that dealing with my mom. It's incredibly important because I've got this, this the personality to barrel in and rescue and sort it all out. Yeah. But you're taking away... A, a person's independence doing that. That's yeah. not really the, the, the right approach at all. Um, so I, I think I wanted to ask you a few questions but later about how I should better have approached this whole situation. But going back to, to this difficulty of it, um, and, and you know, you spoke about the brain shutting down. And I saw that with my mom. She, I mean, shame, she's going through so much. In fact, she's right now under a knife, right now. She's in surgery. She, had a, she has to have a major backup. Um, has, her, her home sold sooner than she expected. Moving into a time of village, all of these things were happening. And she was down, staying with me for a week whilst we were dealing with it. She doesn't live with me. Uh, doesn't live in the same city as me. And she just couldn't, her mind couldn't hold on mm. to anything. She kept mm. saying the same things over and have I done this and haven't I done that? And you gave me the most mm. unbelievably brilliant advice, which is why I, of course, landed up doing this podcast. And that was, you said, write down a brain dump. Just start writing down everything that she thinks about needs to do. And I did that for, the, for five days. I kept a notebook and every time she opened her mouth, I jotted it down. Yeah. And then I compiled it at the end of the, her visit and I said, here's the list. Here's the, the now, mm. the later. It was, she, she knows she was in tears. She said, I can't believe you've done this for me. She, this is miraculous. And I said, now when you're feeling anxious, when you think, did I, must I, you just have to refer to mm. the list. Talk me to, because that list was powerful. Mm. And I messaged you. I mm -hmm. said, wow, Lou, that mm -hmm. list has changed the game. 
I have goosebumps as you <laughs> as you say this because I think the part of life transitions is that it's not difficult to help someone. You know, you maybe need a little bit of guidance in the human side of money. And that's the part that drives our decision making. So this tool you're specifically referring to is what we call the decision-free zone. It's not the no decision zone. It's just allowing someone through the use of a transitionist or family member to put down on paper what's in their head. Okay, And that process of doing a brain dump means that they don't have to keep it internally. They don't have to worry about it, even though they might not know that they're worrying about it. And so now you have this mesh of maybe 50 or 100 different things that's on someone's mind. Now you can start arranging it into what we call the now, the soon, and the later. And that process helps someone to actually park some of it. They can say, okay, well, I still need to update my will. But, you know, is that important with me moving into a new property? Maybe not. I can park that under later. And it's not the financial planner making that decision. I think it's important. It's not the children making that decision. It's working with your parents or your family member or your client and saying, what do you want to tackle first? And the things that are time sensitive and important should be under now. Everything else should be under soon and later. And this is not a checklist for financial planners. You know, it's not these are all the things you need to do. It's what's on your mind. And just that process brings a little bit more calm And it means that someone can have that clarity to say, okay, I'm only going to focus on this one or two little things that I need to tackle. Now it's not this huge mountain. You you can actually start taking taking the first step. Um, So that is a very valuable tool that we use for clients in transition, but also not. You you can think um, when you have a lot to do, just going through that process, like doing a to-do list and and. Uh, yeah, well, that, it off. but that's exactly what it was. It was not. It wasn't. And, and as you said, it doesn't just have to be about the financial part. Yeah. It was everything. Oh, got to phone the doctor to check this. Um, what about the cats? You know, all of those things. And 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 when you you've got so much to do and you're trying to remember all the stuff mm-hmm. and you're sticking in your head, you you go yeah. into this. You can go nuts. Actually, I'm yeah. sure you can go quite crazy. So I think it was a brilliant yeah. idea and certainly one that I would highly encourage anyone to to, to do themselves. Or yeah. also if they if they if they're dealing with somebody who's yeah. in a state. Just to say, right, let's just write, every, and randomly, whatever random thoughts are coming into your head, let's just write it down. It was such a brilliant, um, you know, just a brilliant tip that really got me through that week. <laughs> um, but but I think coming back now to, we spoke a little bit earlier about agency and making sure that mm. you don't take over. Mm. So mm. how do you, how do you support a parent going through this transition? And, and when should you have those conversations? And I, I talk about the transitions in two senses, I suppose, here, because I kind of, broader one is the whole retirement mm. you know the retirement mm. part and you know how do you check in with your parent to make sure that they've made a retirement plan because guess who's on the hook if they haven't yeah. um or if it's about you know reaching a stage where you realize your parent may need to go into a supported care mm. or something so mm. how does we how do we have conversations with with, with our parents mm. i would say the first step to realize is to say whose anxiety am i looking at is it my own or is it my parents? If we for this moment say it's my parents, then we have to turn this conversation around. And instead of saying you have to do this and this and this, we can start with a question. And we can say, what are you most scared about? You know, what does this look like if it turns out well? What can get you excited? What are the things that can maybe derail our plans? And it might sound like funny questions, but this is almost a coaching approach where 
instead of telling someone what to do, because hey, we know that almost never works. <laughs> oh, Mr. Client or oh, mom and dad, you just need to do X, Y, and Z. That unfortunately is not a great way to get someone to do what you want them to do. And just realizing that and say, what can I change? What do I have control here as a child? I have control over how I approach this situation. I do not have control over that person's response. And understanding that I think is key because if you keep on doing the same thing, if you can keep on saying, mom and dad, you need to save for retirement, you need to save, you need to save. At some point they might give up, but you are probably going to drive yourself crazy. So turning that around and asking the question, you know, what's stopping you from how can I make this easier for you? How important is it that there's cash for this? Maybe it's not. Maybe for them, you know, it's not a concern. And I don't think we must just dismiss it there. There is an element where we can bring awareness and we can teach someone to say, okay, you know, this is an important part. So not discounting financial education, but sometimes it's just turning it around and saying, what do you want? What's most important? And in the transitioner space, we, we first look at what do we need to protect? So if you think about someone moving into a new place, what's most important for them? And we'd ask that, you know, what would you like to protect here? And sometimes it's, oh, my sense of community, right? For a lot of people, it mm. is community mm. because that brings down our stress response. Uh, we can talk a little bit about stress, but thinking about what you want to protect and what you want to create new, you know, I think that positive spin on what you're going through, even if it is someone that might have, you know, a terminal illness and they on their last um, days to ask, you know, what do you want to protect during this time? What would make it meaningful for you? The default sometimes is just to you know, lean back and almost disengage. But mm. we've been taught that we should actually be leaning in and you should actually be asking caring and empathetic questions mm. at that point. And the other thing, you t and, I, and I really did see this with going through this whole process, my mom, and, and saying, and, and we, you know, creating a vision of what it will look like, the new place will look like, yeah. what will her life yeah. be like, um, and, and seeing the opportunity in there. But the other thing you told me, um, and I shared this with my mom, I said, you, you, you said you're going to go through kind of flat out panic to euphoria, almost all optimism about the future, and you're going to keep moving between the two of them. And she said to me as well, she said, that was so useful to know, because she said at four o'clock in the morning, when I'm completely panicked, about these decisions I've made, um, I remind myself that, well, this is part of the process. So that was also, you've got to be realistic. People aren't going to say, oh, yes, I'm happy with this decision and I'm going to go ahead with it. They're going to oscillate. Yeah, we call it normalizing. Just for someone to feel that what they're going through is not abnormal. You know, it's a normal response for you to be uncertain. We talk about loss aversion and buyer's remorse. Once we've made a decision, we keep on going back to that <laughs> and we need some comfort. And sometimes it's just someone saying, you know what, I'll be here with you, whatever this decision brings. And I think that support that the family can give is a lot more valuable than them saying, oh, I'll write out a check. You know, sometimes that's necessary, but that emotional support during difficult times is is critical and and also being empathetic so yeah. not being irritated that she's yeah. not excited every five minutes about the change yeah. um to say i understand i understand you're giving up your home yeah. and this is hard and i completely understand and 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 just being empathetic mm. and I, I think we do and i certainly have that personality so i'm very aware of it of just trying to fix everything or well, that's upsetting i'll fix it but sometimes mm. it's not sometimes mm. it's just grief yeah. sometimes it's just loss sometimes you're just sad mm. and you can't fix it and and living with that it's a, as as the child it's very hard to 
to see your parents or vice versa mm. a parent dealing with a child going through yeah. through, through, through trauma like that um, sometimes just it's people are just sad this is as much work on yourself than what it is on that person going through the transition so um, Mary Martin is a wonderful teacher in America and she teaches mindfulness for financial planners and her approach is that the way you show up to your meetings has a massive impact on your clients, even if you don't say anything. It's just your presence and actually being there, listening to someone. But how do you get to that point? Well, I think you have to have a mindfulness practice so that when these thoughts come in, you can let go of it. You can say, oh, I have this feeling that actually I want to fix this. But for you to then automatically lean into fixing, I think would maybe not be the best approach just taking that saying okay what do i want to do here what's going to be helpful for my parents or my family members and then making a decision daniel kahneman talks about the systems one and the system mm. two and you know one of them is automatic it's that kind of prehistoric brain that just goes into action and we want to slow down and we want to use system two so that we can work through things and properly think it through because what we see in life transitions is that someone rushes through it to get to the new normal, and they end up making decisions that don't serve them. And that is that's so interesting. I've just I've just you know been watching my mom go through this process, and there was a little bit of the rushing, and I had to keep saying, "Mom, just slow down, think about this. Is this what you want?" But there's a sense that I have to get through this very horrible thing I have to do. Mm. Let me just rush through it, tick the boxes, and and then I can breathe on the other side. Um, because that indecision and, and unknown mm. is so uncomfortable for me. So I that's interesting because mm. and 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 I do think giving that reflection to a person and saying maybe that's what you're going through maybe you do need to just slow down and make sure these are the right choices and decisions um, is is part of the process and another piece of advice I was given by actually by a friend of mine um, who's a counsellor is she said don't have an expectation of the outcome. Don't buy into an outcome because that also is, I need this to happen. And you said that up front. Mm -hmm. You don't have control over that. And if you're in conflict around that, you've got to say whatever choices she makes or he makes is going to be the, the choice they make. It's not my choice. Um, and, and to just to disconnect from that. And that, that's again, more work on yourself, I suppose. <laughs> we see that so much and so often with widowed people that just want to rush through this. And people say, oh no, a year from now, you'll be much better. What the studies are telling us that, that on average it takes someone seven to eight years when they go through a life transition to get into a new normal. That's the average. And so that means half of the people take longer than that and half of the people go through that process quicker. This is not a race. You know, as soon as you get to that new normal, guess what? There's a new transition waiting for you. <laughs> and that's part of life. Mm. I think it's just going through that what I didn't know before starting out this journey is that you can look back on a life event and you can see how something that's seemingly negative can actually make you a better person and how there's good that can come mm. from anything, you know, being, be it a war, be it a spouse that you've lost, be it moving into a new place. Life isn't just black and white. It's not all bad, not mm. all good. And so this helps you to start reflecting back on it and saying, okay, I am a different person now had a conversation three weeks ago with a client that has terminal cancer and his words to me was this is the best thing that's ever happened to me now for someone to say that it means that they've gone through a process of number one going through the guilt and getting comfortable with it but actually taking meaning from life throwing a curveball and saying how do I make good of what I get and not everyone has the opportunity to go through that. Yeah, that's quite profound. That's quite amazing that you could come out the other side. Well, you know, have, have those reflections. Yeah. That's very powerful. 
and, and now to talk a little bit about the money side of things, because this mm-hmm. is one of the big problems that I see, and a lot of my friends are going through this with their parents, where there's been financial mismanagement of the retirement funds. Yeah. And often it's cognitive. So something, you know, they retire at 60, 65, but by 70, 75, there's cognitive changes perhaps. Um, and suddenly the kids discover that... Uh, you know, they've made some really weird investments or done some really strange things. So how do you, as I suppose as a child, protect against this? But also how do you, as a person who's retiring and make, mm. going into retirement, mm. knowing that you may reach a point where you are not fully capacitated to make yeah. financial decisions, how does one manage that? That's a very interesting question, Maya, because South African law is not really well written for us to deal with this. So number one, people often sign what's called the power of attorney. And so that's giving someone else control over your financial decisions. Unfortunately, as soon as you lose the ability to revoke a power of attorney, so your cognitive ability, that fails. So now your power of attorney is no longer valid. What a lot of people do is that they start moving assets into possibly a trust so that you can have other people look after it, trustees, so to look after this person's assets for their benefit. With that also comes more complexity because you have additional costs and you have other people involved. And then I think thirdly, you can appoint a curator, right, which is also a costly process. And I would advise everyone to... to try and steer away from that unless someone is really incapacitated or have a mental disability. So what can we do as a family member that suspect this? I think it's spending time with your family so that you can see the warning signs, right? Um, in psychology, they often talk about a mini mental test. And my grandfather suffered from dementia. And so we went through this process and the psychologist asked him, you know, what day is it? Um, what's in the news, you know, what did you have for breakfast? They would show them a couple of items. And and funny enough, he said, no, he doesn't need to answer these questions at all. He has a walking cane and this walking cane will tell him uh, whatever <laughs> he needs to know. Um, I don't want to make light of, of these situations. <laughs> Maybe but it was a little mini computer and you don't realize. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it was Google He was ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think being aware when there's these warning signs and then having a, a discussion and say, okay, well, what do we need to do here? And at that point, you need to be working with an attorney and a financial planner because there's legal complexities, there's financial planning implications. Do not try and do this alone. That's definitely a time when you, when doing it yourself can be expensive. And then they can come up with solutions. It might be, let's set up some assets in your spouse's name because you can do donations without worrying about donations tax. You can help, you can get the family members to be more involved. Sometimes it's just being practical, saying, is there someone that can go in and check every day that you're still okay and that you have everything you need? So the money should be for something, right? And what we don't want to lose track of is the quality of their life. So I would say the conversation should be, do we have everything set up so that their quality of life is still in the way that they would have wanted it? And then there's many mechanisms around it. What happens with clients is that, and, and humans, you know, we, we approach it from, oh, I want to try this thing and I want to try that thing. But without having a clear indication of where you're heading, those tactics just become tactics, right? You want to have a strategy to say, this is what we want and then work from there. 
And it's interesting you're saying, you know, that the, the money that they do have must be used for their comfort, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that is the hardest thing to get through to my mother. She mm-hmm. wants to leave an inheritance. Right. And I'm like, we don't need the inheritance. We need you to be healthy and happy mm-hmm. and well looked after. And they, they, and parents get to this point where they would rather sacrifice mm-hmm. their life, you know, that they, they make these interesting decisions. And we're really having to continuously remind it, mom, we're fine. Yeah. We're fine. You, you're the one who needs to, to, yeah. to make sure that you're enjoying your life. That's yeah. what will make us happy. So there is a, is a bit of a conflict there um, I suppose and, and the other thing I, I question I have well one of the things that I see happening quite often and I my readers write to me often is people falling for scams mm. and yeah older people are mm. far more likely to fall for a scam so first of all my mother's very good she sends me absolutely every email that she thinks could be suspicious and they yeah. generally are I mean she's had the post office scams yeah. she's had the SARS scams and fortunately she sends it to me but the point mm-hmm. is she still doesn't know if it's a scam or not mm-hmm. she sends it to me and I say mom that's mm-hmm. definitely a scam but how many people you can fall for that um, I had one desperate reader saying his father keeps falling for these um, uh, the, the, the Nigerian sort of scams is I'm a prince, rich prince Falls for, he's been losing so oh. much money and at what point, you know, he said, what can I do? And, you know, again, you, you probably have mm. to go to court to get some sort of interdict against, or do you just say, well, it's his money? I don't know. The, this mm. is where I'm saying the challenges of agency. It's, mm. it's his money. He chooses to be scammed. It's mm. difficult. Maya, before our call started, we spoke a little bit about financial abuse. And that shows up so often with elderly people and, you know, elder abuse because they become easy targets. And so what we've tried to do in our practice is to minimize the impact on these things. Because I don't think you can create a foolproof environment where no one can get in. But what you can say is, well, if he does get scammed, how do we minimize the losses? So somehow that might be, let's move this big amount of cash that you have in your bank account and let's put that in a money market at the bank. So it's a little bit more difficult, one step removed for someone to get access. Think about increasing friction. So you want to make it more difficult, just like when you're on a diet, you want to bring in friction so that you don't just, you know, grab the chocolate that's in front of you. You're going to hide yeah, it somewhere. Or you know, Easter eggs. Easter eggs are a problem. They're in the house now and they get eaten. <laughs> Even if you don't like Easter eggs, you'll end up eating them. <laughs> Absolutely. But if the friction was there and it wasn't in the house, would you get in your car, drive down the road, go and buy one, bring it back mm. and then eat it? Probably not. So I would say look at ways that you can increase the friction. Maybe get a second signatory on large amounts. Um, a lot of financial planners, us included, use what we call a cash management system. So that's where you can open up a banking license and you can open up a transactional account for someone. Not to keep their money away from them, but to help protect them. You know, Big transfers, what we see from, from attorneys and trust accounts, that's usually when people try and intercept it. So if someone gets into your account and they steal maybe 500 rand, that's much better than them stealing 5 million rand, right? The impact we want to minimize. And so I think we might be focusing on the wrong thing that we try and not, you know, get them to be scammed. We just want to have the reduce the impact. And like you did with your mother, you know, a buddy system, send it to someone before, um, before you act on it, mm. slowing down, noticing, oh, could this be a scam? You know, obviously, there's a long list of things that you never should do. Don't give your PIN number. Don't give your CVV number. But we forget. 
You know, these scammers are trained to trick us into doing they it. Are, so. They are brilliant at human behavior and they yeah. know and they use often one of the yeah. big ones, the banks, that they, they pretend to be from the bank and they say yeah. there's a massive debit order that's yeah. going through your account fraudulently. Yeah. We need to reverse it. And that panic, and especially yeah. as you get older, you do tend to panic more. I find even yeah. I'm not even that old yet and I still panic more than I used to. You, 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 it's easier mm-hmm. to get someone in a panic state yeah. and, and, and they take action. But to me, the sort of the messaging that I'm getting is, is that it is you know, when you come to retirement, as you're getting older, is to have a valued financial planner, mm. actually. Somebody who you can trust, mm. um, who's properly registered, probably, you know, got the proper qualifications, has a, mm. a, a body that they, like mm. uh, the, the FPI, that they, or, um, or and also if you're a certified financial planner, that they have to account to, and they can hold them to account. Um, and that is probably, and then saying to them, listen, mm. if I start trying to, um, you know, buy the, my, my neighbor's uh, oh. whatever bar off him for 10 million bucks, you know, just, just, be there as my sounding board. So I suppose yeah. that's also the role of, of financial planning. And a lot of this is setting it up before because we're yeah. all going to go a little bit, you know, daft at some point, I imagine. At some point you're going to go and, and maybe not be quite as rational yeah. as you should be. And well, can we protect our own selves from that as well? Yeah. <laughs> I think setting up those agreements beforehand, specifically if you don't have family members or children to rely mm. on. So we often see that with clients that might not have kids. Um, sometimes or they don't trust their children. That's another weekend. That's another whole. Oh, that's another episode. <laughs> or they don't trust. It, it, probably it comes down to trust. You know, do you have mm. a friend, a family member, a professional that you can trust to give you an honest, direct mm. opinion? Ideally, someone that's also governed through some form of ethic system, and we call that a fiduciary. You know, acting on someone else's best interest. The dilemma is, what if we also get it wrong? You know. Um, we don't have a crystal ball to see exactly what is a scam or not, but there's a lot of warning signs. Mm. And if you have another pair of eyes that can just look at it, I think you would eliminate 90% of all the problematic actions. Never mind, you know, illegal actions. It could just be decisions that's detrimental to your or financial bad health. investment decisions, you know, Correct. taking on too much risk um, because you didn't really understand it. So, so all of those, I think, quite frankly, we could all benefit from a, a being a, a sounding board. Yeah. Um, and then obviously as we age, that, that becomes more important. But Louis, I want to say thank you very much. Firstly, on a personal level, because you've gave me the tips you gave me for my mom have been absolutely brilliant. Um, and I'm really hoping that we're going to get to have more conversations around this. There's so many life transitions that we that we need to talk about. Um, so I'm looking forward to more of these wonderful conversations and learning more from you. Thank you, Maya. It's been wonderful. And just that ability to help someone. Um, I think a lot of financial planners, that's what gets them up in the morning, including myself. And so it's wonderful to hear that. So this is a podcast about transitions and uh, Louie and I are back. And if you listen to our first podcast, um, you'll know that we discussed what it is, that major transition, because it was my personal issue, of a parent going into a retirement village and all the issues around that. But Louis, what I wanted to talk about today is planned lifestyle changes. When you have decided you want to live a different life, we are seeing it with COVID. I can't tell you the number of friends and people that I know who've said, I've only got, I've realized life is short and I don't want to be living this life anymore. And they're either moving cities, they may be immigrating, they may be quitting jobs and starting their own business. There's been these really massive changes. And I must be honest, when I listen to them, I'm not always convinced they've thought it through that carefully. So if you are thinking of a major life change, listen to this podcast first. (laughs) 
So let's start with it. What what if I came to you and I say, listen, Louis, I'm out of here. I'm 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 cashing in. I'm gonna go and live in some little dorpy. Uh, I don't know. Greaton, I don't know, somewhere, some little village. Like, how do you approach it when somebody's facing a big, big decisions like that? Maya, I think we have to start off to say that any life transition can be stressful and can be difficult. If we impose it on ourselves, if it's positive or if it's negative, it's equally stressful. And we tend to go through the same four stages. So think of this person that's moving to Grayton. They are probably in the anticipation stage, which is the first stage of the four stages. The second being ending. So they have now sold their property and they have moved to Grayton. There's no going back. Then there's passage. There's kind of the messy middle where you get used to this new life, maybe out of the city, a new community. There's things that you've lost and there's things that you've gained. And then over time, you move to the new normal, right? You are now a resident there and you're happy with how it turned out and you go into a new transition. So let's talk about the anticipation phase because people often show up as invincible. And what we mean with that is that they only see the positive. Like I'm going to move to Grayton and I'm going to have no stress and my relationship is going to be wonderful and my kids are going to visit me every weekend and it's going to be the best decision that I've ever made. In life, unfortunately, there's always two sides of the story. There's the good things and there's the less good things. So what we would start off with is to just understand the reason behind the move. You know, tell us a little bit more about what went into thinking about this. You know, what impact does that have on your spouse and on your family members and who else is involved in the decision? And you think of painting a picture of this decision and you want to just color it in. Because sometimes it comes up that someone hasn't thought this through and they're just rushing into maybe getting away or, you know, fleeing towards something. And rush decisions is almost always bad because we don't spend the time looking at the impact. Absolutely. And I, I do think, you know, I go through it. You know, sometimes there's a moment that I'm, I'm hiking in the mountain on the weekend. I just think I want this to be my life every day. I just don't want the deadlines. I don't want to have another podcast I have to do. No, I'm joking. I love my podcast. But another article I have to write, all that pressure and deadlines, and I just want to escape. And, and sometimes that feeling of escape leads you to think, well, maybe if I opted out, maybe if I downsize, maybe if this, maybe if that. But ultimately, I'd probably be bored within two weeks and it would be a big mistake so how do you kind of you know decide that this is actually what you want and it's not a knee-jerk reaction to an event that is happening to you I mean like COVID was an event or it's just something that's really just bad at work I mean how do you process what you can do without actually making a major life change I think part of it's just slowing down and then saying okay well what is behind this change like why do I want so badly to not have any stress because stress is actually a good thing, right? It helps us to grow and it helps us to have a purpose and it, you know, we can be creative and we can give back to the world. So sometimes the thing that we're running away from is actually that the thing that we should be leaning into. And I, I think we all have blind spots, right? Those are the things that are sitting here that you can't see on your own, maybe because you don't want to, or maybe you've had trauma in the past and maybe you've just been trained to ignore that. So having someone that can shine a light on those blind spots, not to say, oh, have you considered this, but to actually help you start thinking and to open up those blind spots and actually say, well, you know, what does life look like two months after you've moved? What does a Tuesday morning look like? Tell me about that. What about that is important to you? And if you think of the layers of an onion is you want to start peeling away at that. 
you want to say, okay, why is Grayton so attractive to you? <laughs> Sitting on a Tuesday morning at a coffee shop, enjoying the newspaper. Like, how is that different from what you have today? Because then you can start looking at the comparison. Mm. And in life, we only have trade-offs. If you give up something, you gain something else, but you also lose something. And so starting out saying, what are you giving up to make this move possible? I think creates a more fuller picture so that someone can start thinking, is this really what they mm. want? I, I know Kim Potkita in um, she's another financial planner. She always says she gets people coming and they, they're going to, to retire and they live in the city and they're going to retire to the coast. And the first question is, why? Have you ever spent any significant amount of time at the coast? No, but that's what you do when you retire. And she says, well, find out if you actually want to live at the coast. You may not actually enjoy it very much. So I think we do have pictures in our heads of what our lives are going to look like in a specific place. That place will solve our problems rather than actually saying, well, what is it about where I am currently that I'm happy with that I could could change? And, and where do you think sabbaticals come into this as well? Yeah. Uh, your face lights up. You like that question. <laughs> that's a, oh, that was unexpected. I did not expect that. And that's why I'm, I'm smiling. I think sometimes it's just, are you living life on autopilot? And are the decisions that you're making someone else's or society's decisions? Or is this really what you want? Sabbatical is interesting because you're almost saying, okay, I want to take a break from what I'm doing. And then you have to ask like, why? You know, what's, what's difficult from what you're doing now? Why do you need this break? There's a lot of people that find so much value in sabbaticals and it's almost a reset. And I would say if you have that need, you know, lean into it and start understanding what is it. How else can I get the benefits of a sabbatical, but maybe not doing a sabbatical? Because it means I'm giving an income and that have, has different trade-offs. In the financial transitionist world, we use a tool called managing expectations. And there we unpack the impact that this has on other family members. So, you know, taking on a sabbatical, you might say, okay, what do you expect to gain from this? But you can also ask the spouse or the partner, you know, how do you expect this to look like, this sabbatical? And just getting people to verbalize what they actually mean, you can start challenging it and you can get them on the same page. Because I think with sabbaticals, you, you know, you can resign very quickly. You can say, okay, I'm going to take a sabbatical. Um, sometimes it could just be an easy way out to gain permission to not do anything for that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a, that's a very interesting one. I think if you have the financial resources, then absolutely um, create a life by design, not just on autopilot. And I think also if you're going to take a sabbatical, have a plan for it. Mm. It's not about I'm going to do nothing. Yeah. Uh, so my husband actually did this. So yeah. the reason I so he he left um, a company he was working for mm. and he just he was burnt out and mm. he didn't want to go straight into something else. Yeah. So we looked at the finances. He, he was paid out. Um, he got a lump sum. And we said, mm -hmm. right, how long mm -hmm. can you, we, if we cut back a little yeah. bit, how long can we survive? And, you know, we had a plan. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, it was, I think it was seven months or so that, that he could afford not to earn an income. Yeah. And, but that was a family discussion. Mm -hmm. And we all discussed it. Mm -hmm. My children were included in that discussion because this is the, this is what we're doing. We wanted to make sure that they understood that financially we had made yeah. the right, that we weren't being crazy and and taking on debt or anything mm. um, that that this was was planned for um, and was you know it was done as a couple. So how important is it mm. when you're wanting to make a big life change? You know, moving immigration is of course a huge one at the moment. Mm. Having that conversation with your spouse because that's that's a big part of it and your kids. That's probably the number one thing that we see in 
in clients that lack of communication when it comes to money. You know, money is still a taboo topic. It's almost easier to talk about sex than what it is to talk about money these days. So we have to note that, you know, your first money memories start from the age of seven. So you can think back of how you grew up with money and how your parents communicated with money. And almost always it's not about the money, right? It's the emotions that piggyback on the money. It's what the money brings. It's power or security or decision-making or vulnerability. Hey, I have this amount of debt. So we go through a process where we help clients to have better money communication skills. And that starts off with an awareness of how do you show up? You know, what type of methods do you like communicating? And, I, and I'm not talking about written versus email. I'm talking about, do you want to know who's involved? Do you want all the facts? Do you want the bottom line? Should we soften the tone of communication? Because then the other party, and this can be a spouse or financial planner, can change the way they deliver the message. And think about it, if I deliver a message to you that you are more likely to receive, it's so much easier than just talking past you and, you know, spitting out all the facts when you might be someone that takes a softer approach and, you know, how does this money make you feel and, you know, what's important to you here. So I think communication in any relationship is the bedrock of that. If that's about money or your life decisions, they're all intertwined. You know, we can't separate the one thing because if your communication around money is bad, then probably there's other areas mm. in your life where communication is also not great. And I think all, you've also got to make sure you're both on the same page um, mm. because I, I tell you mm. that, that that's the small town thing is very big at the moment. And I often find that there's a spouse who's not keen on it. Mm. The one spouse is like, well, I'm, I like the city. I like where I live. I'm happy in yeah. my job. The other one wants to go and farm chickens, um, has never farmed chickens ever in his or her life, but is going to farm chickens. Um and, and which is perhaps an extreme reaction to, to a situation. Mm -hmm. But what if the partner doesn't want to leave the city? So I think those are many of the conversations that, that I'm seeing, certainly mm -hmm. among my peer group, that that is where, yeah. where people are having difficulty. They, they want their lives to go in, in different directions. And that's difficult. It can often lead to resentment. You know, oh, you wanted to move to this small town and it was your decision. So, so every time there's a bad day or the chicken dies, it's while well, you see you, 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 and you've got to be very careful yeah. of that. You need to be on the same page mm. because mm. hopefully your marriage, <laughs> you know, you're on the same page and, and you're living life together. Just like you can't do financial planning with just one party. Mm. You, know, you hopefully have similar goals and similar dreams and similar objectives. And maybe it is a part in your life where, you know, the paths are splitting. And maybe that means you know, looking at alternatives. Mm. But just starting to have that conversation in a space where you feel safe with someone that you trust that's not going to judge you and that's not going to want to change anything. Mm. I think that's key because, you know, we have to be ready to do this. No one can push you into this conversation. Um, I think that's key. And sometimes we get frustrated with our spouses or the partners. Mm. Oh, you just you just need to have this conversation. We just need to do this. We can't control mm. the reaction. We can only control the way we show up mm. and the way we approach it. Mm. So I would say in that scenario, maybe try a different angle of attack. <laughs> try a different way of communicating. Keep coming in until you figure the angle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting. So when my husband made the decision to take a sabbatical, you know, you, I also had to articulate my expectations. Mm. My mm. expectation was you're not going to sleep until 10 o'clock mm. in the morning, wander around your pajamas eating cereal whilst I'm working because I will feel very resentful. So you mm. need a plan. And the, 
you know, it could be getting up, going cycling, which is what he wanted to do. And, you know, there had to be things that I saw him being active um, because it would have driven, and I was honest about that. It would have driven me stark raving mad. So I think you also have to have... (laughs) Rules of engagement. (laughs) Rules of engagement. But, you know, you mentioned financial planning and being on the same page financially. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now you've made the decision. You've you've had this discussion. You're going to sell your big property. Mm -hmm. You're going to downsize. You're going to move to the little village or overseas or whatever it is. Do you know how many people I know who do this without any financial planning or any numbers being being drawn up? So, I mean, how critical that is in, in, in looking at the numbers? Or do you think you should just blindly jump? Because sometimes, because the numbers will tell you not to do it. It's the age-old thing. You don't know what you don't know, right? So for you to first know what you don't know, you need someone to point out, maybe you should think about the taxes or... You know, what is the implication of moving? How are you going to support this new lifestyle? There might be different expenses. That can be a family member. It can be a financial planner. I think why financial planners are ideal for this is because we're trained to know what to ask. You know, you don't have to sift through everything. You can look at the pieces that are critical and you can help someone, I think, relieve the anxiety of the unknown. Because when we don't know, we're surprised by what comes up. And then we have to figure out a plan. And that immediately creates this stress response. (gasps) What am I going to do now? I have to pay the capital gains tax on this property. I never thought about it. So every time there's a big life change and you go on autopilot, unfortunately, you make decisions that are often not in your best interest or the interest of your family. So slowing down, looking at the numbers Sometimes you just need to leap, take that leap of faith, right? If it's something that you truly value and if it's something that's super important to you and your family, there's always a way because it means that you're trading off something. You can maybe work a little bit longer. You can pass away a little bit sooner. Sometimes you don't have that choice. You can trade off your lifestyle. You can sell some assets. You can generate other sources of income. When there's options, I think there's hope. And so for a lot of clients, sometimes they don't see the options in a scenario where they feel like all the options are gone. And so the role there of a financial planner is just to have a little bit of hope and and show them, well, actually, there's a scenario where this turns out well. And most of the time, life works out. But don't just follow it blindly. Well, I think you said to me earlier, you said you can have anything, but you can't have everything. And that's what it is. It's about sitting down and saying, right, what this really matters to me. Okay, why? Um, and what is now the how? So, and, and I think I think you're so right because just by planning, if you just close your eyes and go and, and jump uh, with, and on autopilot, you don't look at it, you're going to miss easy wins. And, and those easy wins will make your life easier. So absolutely make the plans. And if those numbers look at you and they say, oh, you're not doing this, the numbers are not adding up, that doesn't mean a no. It means what am I needing to do differently to still achieve it? And I think that is, it's a very different spin on it. But I, I think what I find is that a lot of people are so scared to look at the numbers, to open that lid and, and look at the numbers that they just keep the lid on, make the leap and then deal with the consequences afterwards, which can be quite, that, that is actually where the financial problems generally come in. Maya, we see the flip side out of interest. We see someone stuck in deciding that analysis paralysis they would look at all the different permutations and then they would never make a decision and if you look at the work that george kinder does in life planning the whole objective of life planning is to help you reach your life goals in a shorter amount of time than you would have reached it without working with a life planner so sometimes it's just motivating that client to 
you know, take that leap of faith if it's something that aligns with his values, what's important to the family, and, you know, if there's a really good chance that they, they will make it. I think in our client base, uh, our, well, our motto is live life fully now. So we see the opposite, mm. you know, someone wants to over save. And so finding that balance between enjoying your assets and enjoying your life, but also being responsible to plan for the future. I think that's a personality. That's going to be yeah, personality. Yeah, so you get people who are, are really conservative mm. and, and afraid yeah. to make change. And then you get other people who just say, what the hell, it'll work out one way or the other. Yeah. So, and somewhere within there, obviously, is the yes. happy medium. And that is the financial plan is what you play. You've got to yeah. sit there and say, right, what kind of personality am I dealing with? Let me let me put it all together. So, I mean, I think this is really, really fascinating. And I hope um, the listeners have got something out of this because it is, I am seeing this and I think we're going to see more of it. Mm. There's a lot of uncertainty. Certainty, um, living costs, petrol, you know, kids' education. People are being really squeezed financially and they feel like they're going to work every day in this job they're not really enjoying, struggling to keep things going. And the, 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 the why, you know, who am I? What am I doing here? I think it's becoming more and more, you know, critical. Yeah. So so, so that's obviously the, yeah. So, so, so take this, find yourself a good uh, um, planner like Louie anyway. <laughs> Or or a psychologist or a counselor or someone who can who can really talk you through what is driving your your lifestyle decisions. Maya, I think this talks about wellness. You know, are you happy where you are now? You know, sometimes you need the help of a professional psychologist. Sometimes you need a coach. Sometimes you need a a counselor. Sometimes you need a technician. And on that spectrum, you know, I think everyone can benefit from those relationships. Mm -hmm. But you have to start doing the work on yourself, mm. you know, like your husband taking that sabbatical to, to heal and go through a place where, you know, he doesn't feel burnt out and gets excited about the future. And so I think we have to hone in on that to pick up the signs when someone might not fulfill that wellness that they ideally want to. And it's just being there to listen, picking up on the things that are worrying them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Louis, and um, I look forward to our our next uh, our next conversation. I think our next conversation we're going to be focusing on well the sad reality of death and widows and being left. You know, when your partner something happens to your partner. Um, so looking well, I'm not, looking forward to that conversation is probably not the right word, but I'm looking. I think it's going to be a really really interesting one. Thank you. Thank you, Maya. Yeah. So Louis and I are um, continuing our conversations around life transitions, which started um, a couple of weeks ago over a cup of coffee, um, where I just found everything Louis was saying just absolutely fascinating. And I thought I want my listeners to be able to hear it as well. So so thanks, Louis, for that. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've spoken about perhaps the softer things in life. The, you know, my mom spoke about my mom going to retirement village, and we've spoken about making big life changes. But we're perhaps skirting around the biggest life change of all, which is death. And and I think you and I were saying, you know, it's it's people say, if I die, no, when you die, you are going to die. So how do you prepare for that? And there's a very high chance that during your lifetime, you will suffer the loss of a loved one. So how do you prepare for that? So let's just get in there. Let's not mince words. We're going to die. So how do we... We prepare ourselves um, and they start maybe with making sure that we are prepared for our own mortality. Maya, this is a topic that is difficult for most people and I would say almost everyone. And unless you're Elon Musk planning to live forever, you rightly say you, you are going to pass away at some point. And we can do so much to help prepare the people that we leave behind or support people. And it starts with our words. It starts with showing up. 
And probably the biggest thing I think that frustrates people that have lost someone is that word, I'm so sorry, right? That is not helpful because our response is, oh, don't worry, it's not your fault or, you know, that is not the ideal response. So I think coming to grips with our mortality and starting to say, well, what should I get in place? Like when this happens, what impact would that have on the family? And start talking about it within your family. It doesn't only happen to people in their 60s or 70s or 80s. It happens to people in their teens, in their 20s or their 30s. It happens to everyone. And I think what the Certified Life Transitionist Training has taught us is that it is still a life-changing event. And that means that we can show those four stages, you know, anticipation. Sometimes death gives us you know, a, a warning sign. It might be a terminal cancer. Sometimes it goes directly into the second phase, which is ending. You know, think of a car accident. I lost my uncle and aunt last year. Very sudden, unexpected. And the family was dropped into ending. That's the phase that you would see grief. That's the, the time when you do not want to be making any decisions. Right. So the biggest thing, if you take one thing away from today, is in a time of grief, do not make important financial mm. decisions. Have the comfort to know that you can tackle it in the future unless it's something that is super time sensitive and almost everything is not that time sensitive. Give yourself the space to work through the grief. And that takes a long time. It can take years. You know, studies have shown us on average it takes widowed people seven to eight years to work through a life transition. That means half of them take longer than that and half of them take sooner. It's not a race. You don't want to rush through it. And then that third phase is where we do most of our work. It's called the messy middle, that passage phase of putting life back together. You know, you have chaos and you have fear, but also from that you create possibilities. You know, what does my new life look like? A life without my partner, a life where part of me is no longer there. Unfortunately, you can't undo, you can't go back. You know, you have to make peace with the fact that you are moving into a new normal and life that can be equally meaningful and remembering that person that's no longer mm -hmm. there. But of course, all of this is so much easier if you have money and it's admin that is sorted. And, you know, I have to tell you, I know so many women who have lost partners who have been left without resources I'm my own family my, my father passed away left my mother financially destitute so you so yes I understand that in the middle of grief you must make no choices but what if suddenly you don't have the money to pay the bills um, you have to sell the house you you you're not sure how you're going to make meet your kids finance school fees those are very real experiences of people um, and and especially and, I, and I'm going to be maybe I'm being incredibly sexist here and you can put me right <laughs> but I generally see men being a lot more disorganized around the stuff than women so maybe women feel a little bit especially if they're mothers they, they worry about their kids and they worry about the future of their children but for some reason there seems to be this immortality mindset the amount of men who do not have a will have not taken out life cover have not had these conversations with their families i mean are you do you come across how as a practice do you manage those conversations brilliant question maya and it's something that i don't think we're going to fix overnight and that's okay it's starting to have the conversation, starting to prompt, starting to say, well, talk me through what happens if you pass away tomorrow. You know, do we have things in place? And I think it's really that thing of perfect is the enemy, right? You do nothing because you want to have everything perfect. And it's just really taking that first step and saying, okay, well, what is the most important part here? Is it drafting a will? Is it 
having a conversation around who should be the guardian of our children? Is it about leaving some resources? And your point around when there's money is valid, I think it doesn't necessarily make the process less difficult, but it gives you more options. It gives the family more options and there's more resources. It is incredibly difficult either way. And so whatever we can do to make that a little bit easier, I think we at least have to try and start that conversation and start bringing it up. It's a critical piece of financial planning, right? Because then we can say, okay, what do you, what's important to you? What do we need to keep intact? It's not always about you need an additional life policy. Our industry is well-renowned for just selling products. Sometimes there's a place for life insurance. Most often you have to say, well, just talk me through what it is that you want to leave behind for your family and for your children. And I think starting there, starting mm. that conversation about what does this look like when it's done well, mm. instead of moving from a place of fear to say, you need to get your will in order because otherwise, you know, that, that, that isn't a great uh, approach. We like the more positive approach around supporting someone, helping them, coaching them, talking about what's holding them back from tackling this, making it more digestible, breaking it down. And then you can take that first mm. step. It's like training for a marathon. You don't just put on your running shoes and there you go, 42 kilometers. Um, you start with running two kilometers or five kilometers, mm. right? And just breaking it down. I, I love that. You know, it was, it, you see this so often where um, it is this, the fear tactics. If you don't have a will, then this will happen and that will happen. And instead you say, what would you... What would you like legacy you would like to leave? What do, what do you want your family to look like? And you know, and, and have it as a different conversation, not about the negative. And maybe I think that's that I've taken a lot of, of, of um, solace, I think, from what you've just said. I think that's a better way to try and have those conversations um, than than the scare tactics. What is that picture in your mind when you're no longer there of the people you love? So I, I think that's that's really important. But I mean, that's obviously us make an individual making choices about. Um, you know, what they want to leave behind. But I want to talk now about the flip side. You are the partner. Um, and and you, were, you were talking about anticipation, the, the end of life stage. So, so often it's not about a sudden, it, it's the cancer. It's, you know, something that you know is coming. How do you, what at that time, as the spouse or the partner, what do you need to be doing? And I'm talking now on a quite a practical level as well, to be doing at that stage. Mm -hmm. My, in our first episode, we spoke about this decision-free zone, and that is a brilliant exercise for someone that maybe have just heard that they have a terminal illness. They might have all these things floating in their mind, be that the client or the, the person that's diagnosed or the spouse, because, you know, imagine yourself, someone saying to you, you know, you maybe have a couple of months left to live. Firstly, there's a big emotional response to that, and you know, that all those all those seven stages of, of grief that we have to notice. And there's no plan for moving through grief. But at the same time, you can have 50 or 100 different things that's on your mind. And often it's just organizing that, saying, what do we need to work on soon? And you want two or three things maximum. Sorry, what do we need to work on now? Two to three things. What do we need to work on soon? So it's something that's not time sensitive. And what can we park? until later and so in our practice we've had a few clients that's been diagnosed with a terminal illness and that's been so helpful because we can actually zoom in or kind of hone in on really what's important for that like person. give me an example of what those would be in the now and the sooner yeah. so 
A great example that would probably not be in now is that, oh, I need to, you know, sell my property and I need to create liquidity for my family, right? Um, most times it's not big events. You do not want to be making big decisions when you're in that state mm. of grief. But what's important is maybe saying, oh, I just need to double check my beneficiaries. You know, is that still in place? I need to work out a treatment plan with my physician or oncologist if it's cancer. That can be the biggest thing on your now list. And maybe that's the best mm -hmm. thing. Because if you have that, then you can reflect back to that. We, we've worked with a client, and this is very common across uh, any financial transitionist that deals with these clients, is that they tend to forget the, the technical parts behind it. So this is a client with a very big estate that has sufficient money and you struggle to remember what would happen. And so we create what's called a one pager. It's literally one page where we show them what amount his spouse will get, what amount will go to the estate and what amount will go to the trust. And instead of him to wonder every time, oh, will my spouse be okay? Is everything sorted? He just opens this one pager, can look at it and say, ah, okay, mm. that's why we have it. And the numbers are not that important. It's what feeling are you leaving that client with? Are you reducing anxiety? And the thing we try and hold on to is, can we reduce some of the suffering in this time? Mm. We're not going to make this process easier, but we can definitely reduce the suffering. Mm. And now you have a sudden death. And this is happening again, my age group, I think a lot of people in their 50s, the heart attacks, men with heart attacks. Um, it, it's really scary. COVID, of course, brought it home. A lot of people in, in their 50s passed away. It's a sudden death. And now you're the widow. Um, or widowed person, I think is the correct terminology. It's a widow, widow person. What, what how, you know, how do you start dealing with this, this stuff? Um, or the admin, the admin of death. I'm sorry. It's it's actually ludicrous. Um, so so how do you process that? You said don't take any rash decisions, but there's all the stuff that has to happen. Mm -hmm. I think the question is, you know, is there really so much that has to happen? Okay. The one thing that probably has to happen is that you have to submit it to the master's court and send them to the death certificate. And if you have a will, your executor can be appointed and your executor can handle a lot of these things. And so it's important that in your will, you choose an executor that you can partner with and someone that you trust. That's going to become your guide through helping wind up your spouse's estate you know, and dealing with the finances. But at the same time, they're going to ask you a ton of questions. They're going to say, what do you want to do with these shares? What do you want to do with the life policy proceeds that pays out? And what we see with these things at that point is that people come out the woodworks, you know, dependents that you didn't know of or people that are looking for money. And we work with our clients to come up with a statement. Uh, and that statement can just be, I am not ready to make a decision now. I'm working with my financial planner. I'll reach out to you when I'm ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just having that permission to tell someone, not no, but not now. It's, it's on my soon list or it's on my later list. I'll deal with it, but not now. I'm grieving and Give yourself permission to grieve and not have to worry. If you have the luxury of financial resources, you should not be worrying about that that mm -hmm. point. There's a brilliant tool. And so the transitionist planning is all around using these different tools that says, am I okay? And we go through an exercise where we look at, do you have sufficient cash for the next six months just to get you by and to pay the bills? 
what assets could we be using, what penalties are there, and what taxes are there. Those four things. That's the only thing you want to look at. You want to say, are you okay to cover your expenses for the next six months? If not, then, you know, maybe on the now list, we need to put that, let's figure out how to get through the next six months without making major decisions. So I think the key is just slowing down and knowing that this is going to be a long process and that you have people with you. It could be a family member, it could be the executor, it could be a financial planner that will support you and not make the decisions for you, but help you to make decisions that serve you and, and your person that's no longer mm. there. And, and one of the things I also pick up um, is that people don't always know what policies there are or what their spouse has. Because yeah. people, let's admit, most people's admin is a disaster. So it's not like there's a nice, neat file. It's just like, is there a life cover? I don't know. Mm. Are there investments? I don't know. The retirement fund is usually okay because mm. it's linked to an employer or there's something. So is there a way for, for, the, for the financial plan to try and find all this stuff? There is. So remember that once that person passes away, uh, there's the space between the deceased and when the executor is appointed. So ideally, you want to get that letter of executorship from the master as soon as possible. Because when the executor is appointed, then they can start gathering more information and they can even release some of the funds. Um, so it's really difficult to gather information when someone's passed away. But the spouse and the close family has a right to that information by law to reach out to those insurers and find out what are, the, what are the insured amounts, who are the beneficiaries. I would say that at that point, you probably wouldn't want to be dealing with that. So get someone in the family or financial planner that can help you do the legwork, to can do the research and say, okay, we found these three or four policies. We're going to deal with it. You know, it's not a difficult process. Your executor doesn't deal with it. Sometimes if the amount of money is paid outside of the, of the estate, the executor won't touch it. So have a process and have someone that can help you. Think of almost a buddy system. You don't want to be taking on that. You're in a stage of grief and our brains switch off, which means for you to fill in details like ID numbers or tax numbers is going to be really difficult. Now you're going to go into a state of panic. So don't put yourself under that pressure unnecessarily. Have a place where ideally you can go to a file or an online system. There's great ones these days where you have a sense of, what's going on, you know, the policies, the maybe the deed from the property, uh, hopefully a copy of the will. You know, there might be divorce orders. Uh, the administration process can be complex, but, you know, your executor should be well-trained and well-versed in terms of dealing with that. But I was just thinking, you know, this, in listening to this, if people are listening, it's just to, to, to think about the, these things and prepare for them. So in other words, is there a person in your life mm. who you could call on mm. if this, if this mm. happened to you? Um, and start having that, mm. that those thoughts. And I suppose, of course, this should be the conversation one as spouses should be having, saying, well, yeah. we need to be talking about this. So maybe you can play this podcast <laughs> as a starting. But I, I was just thinking, like, who would I call on? Who would that mm. friend be or trusted person be? And I think that that's, that's a really, really important point, just mm. that person. Um, and you spoke also about, I know you mentioned to me before about Life Docs, which is an online system mm. that you can actually up load documents to so again this is a pre preparation it doesn't help uh before afterwards but you know in terms of preparation how does that work yeah so it's a brilliant platform that you can subscribe to you don't have to be a financial planner you can be the man in the street and that prompts you of which documents should you be storing important to note that they will keep an electronic copy and what's great is that you can nominate who should receive those documents when you pass away so okay. practically they request a, a, a death notice 
And they would then share that with your emergency mm -hmm. contact. Yes or no? Benefit of that is that you don't have to go and go through the property and go and find this red file that's all the documents are in. It's important that you still have original copies of some of the documents. Things like a will, it's critical. Uh, a electronic copy will not be accepted by the master. But other copies like insurance policy statements or just knowing where the bank accounts were held, knowing which properties and which shares that person held, it helps with the financial organization. And when we take on a client, the first step we do is financial organization. Let's just take a snapshot of <laughs> what you have and you'll be surprised how things pop up, things that clients forgot about, things that they didn't know they had. And so just going through that process of organizing, not necessarily changing, just saying here's everything in one place, I think will alleviate a lot of the anxiety and it will reduce the burden on the executor because otherwise they have to look around and try and find this information. Can you imagine you worrying about finances and then only finding out a few years later that there's a life policy that wasn't claimed on? Mm. You know, unnecessary stress. Mm. I think this whole process is just to make a very difficult process a little bit easier. And, you know, we were speaking in, in the previous podcast about dealing with elderly parents. And, of course, this is yeah. one of the things you could sit with and saying, look, let's upload your documents or, you know, let's get all the documents yeah. together. Because, again, death is coming. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you know, and, and maybe we shouldn't be so scared to have these conversations. But I do find people are really, yeah. really uh, do not want to talk about it. And in fact, I was speaking to some financial planners who were saying that um, people will, will write up a will but they won't come and sign it. They struggle to get them to sign it. And it's nagging them and going back and going back. And there's this absolute fear that if you sign a will, you'll die. I don't know. Or there's just this fear instead of realizing you're going to die. We just don't know when. Um, and, and you need to be prepared for it. And I think that that is, is absolutely critical. Maya, that's a very valid comment. And I think we have to pause there and we have to say, well, what are the stories that we've internalized about death? like studying deceased estate administration during this year made me think about my own mortality and realize that actually this can be a nightmare for my family and how can I make it a little bit easier? So now instead of it becoming about, oh, I'm going to pass away, I've changed the focus. I've said, how do I not leave my wife and young child in a position where they have to go and find the documents? It took me a good 10 minutes to find a bond document in my emails that I went through Imagining if she would have to, number one, gain access to my emails, sift through the hundreds of emails to find this document, and only at that point then say, okay, now I have this document, I can give it to the executor. I would not want her to go through that stress and anxiety that that causes. So sometimes it's just shifting the narrative and saying, okay, yes, we understand that this is something that you might be scared of, but you know, there's also a consequence to not having it. If you don't mm -hmm. sign a will, then there's a, there's a law called the Intestate Succession Act that determines the set of rules of how your money and your assets will be distributed. Are you okay with that? And maybe you are. You know, maybe you don't need a, need a will. Um, for most people, their wishes are very different from what the law would say. And so you can take a little bit of ownership and you can say, this is what I would want to have happened. And we have technology now that makes it so much easier. A brilliant platform like QuickWill allows you to do a will very quickly. You can even nominate where your pets should go, who should be the guardian of your pets, something that not a lot of people think of. So it doesn't have to be this very high bar of, mm. I need to go to an attorney, I need to spend thousands of rands. Mm. I think they charge 250 rand 
to help you draft a will. You can get that in place. You can upload your documents to LifeDocs. You know, make sure that your insurance is sorted out. Does not have to be complex and difficult. And you were speaking about your wife having to access your emails. Yeah. Digital. That's another whole drama. Yeah. Um, you know, I have friends who, who's, whose husbands passed away. There's a whole digital yeah. world out there. That access to email, your passwords, yeah. um, your social media. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, is there a way for us to like maybe have a piece of paper with all? I don't know. How does one solve for that? Yo, please do not write it down on a, on a piece of paper. And stick it on the French door. <laughs> yeah, from a security perspective, that you you do not want to be doing that. There's a lot of password managers out there. So we use one called 1Password. Uh, there's LastPass, there's a ton of it. You can Google it. But what they allow you to do is to store a document. They call it an emergency kit. Okay, so this is a physical document that you can print with the process to gain access to your password manager. And you want to store that in a safe with your copy of your will to say that when I pass away, you can reset my password, gain access to my password manager. That will allow you access to the emails, to the social network, to maybe even your bank accounts. Yes, there's still a risk that someone gets that document and resets the password, but the risk is lower than you just writing it down on a piece of paper. Um, What practically happens is that you have to submit a letter of executorship and the death notice to the social media companies, let's say Facebook or LinkedIn, and you then have to say as the next of kin, what should happen to that account? Once again, it's not a decision you want to be making when you're grieving because you might regret it. You might regret seeing the Facebook posts or the messages that other people leave when you just rush in and close it. So my advice would be get a password manager. It's really good practice from security and then have a safe place where you can put that emergency kit so that someone can access that after your death. Mm -hmm. And I was I was laughing though when you talked about password manager because you know how many times I have to update my passwords because then Facebook says no 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 you need to mm-hmm. redo this whatever so you're supposed to I'm, I'm never going to remember to go back into the other so I reckon this is just going to yeah. be a mess and no matter how much you prepared for it you're going to forget some password that you haven't updated <laughs> so and it's interesting I didn't know mm-hmm. that that you could actually send something to the social media yeah. platforms to ask them to 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 deal with it so I think that's probably a, a useful one to know as well although again they must also go through some security checks to make sure you're not just somebody so, so that can get quite quite tricky. Uh, and just to, you know, we, we've spoken about, um, you know, how, how people wind up their affairs and that. But, you know, in a, in a great world, there is some money. But what happens? You said don't act suddenly. But when there is no money, you know, you probably don't come across it that much because you've got your clients all organized. But what do you do? Uh, the spouse dies. And other than the income, there is very little um, how, how does, you know, what, do you need to sell houses? Do you, how does one navigate that space? That is very, it's a, it's a very relevant question. Cause I think there are so many, what we call insolvent estates. So that is really where your liabilities. So the amount of money you owe is more than your assets. Mm. So what you have plus the insurance that's paid to the estate. In those scenarios, the executor has to start selling assets to pay off these creditors. So once again, you want to pick an executor that you trust and that will run through this process with you. If you are appointed as the spouse or family members appointed, get an agent, get an attorney, get a chartered accountant or trust company to help you through that process. Because number one, you're dealing with this person that has passed away's asset. 
And then the other part of it is saying, well, what other resources do I have? Are there family members that can maybe support me? Um, we have a pro bono client that we're helping that lost her job and she's got a disabled child. And she managed on, uh, I think it's called Backer Buddy, start a campaign where people provided money for her to be able to pay a medical aid. There's always options. Even when it feels like there's no options, I can guarantee you communities come together in time of need. And so my advice would there would be to speak to someone that can help you figure out what other options there might be that you're not considering. Because if you're only looking at this estate and you say, oh, there's no money, how am I going to pay the bills? You can get into a stage of anxiety and fear and that can be paralyzing. Mm. It, most of the time it is paralyzing. And someone just taking your hand saying, let's figure this out together. Let's figure out, do we need to sell something? Do you need to maybe generate a second income? There's many options mm. there. Do you need to ask for the help of family members or friends or the community? I think when there's options, there's hope and, you know, we can maybe get a short term solution and then you can start thinking about what's the longer term mm. solution. And I think, it, you know, just to sum it up, though, is is this event will happen. So plan for it. Uh, and I must tell you, our family, we, we've we've discussed it. We've even told our children what is in our will. They know what will happen to them. Um and, and it was actually driven, I must tell you, by my son at the age of six. He was already asking, Mom, what happens if something happens to you and Dad? And to try and avoid those conversations is not a good idea. Being able to tell them there is a will, there, are, there is money, there is, this is who your guardian will be. Though, you know, to me, you're just alleviating all the anxiety from your children as well. So that is very important. And I must just tell you that what I do with our, um, every year I do a net asset value, uh, update my spreadsheet. So on there is absolutely every account I have and my husband and the kids' investments are all there with the account numbers. Um, and the, which is a, a, a really quick, um, you know, overview of, of what your current assets are. But then I realized that because I'm a journalist and I'm always in interviewing people and, and finding out new products I have a lot of small investments like a thousand rand here a thousand rand there in odd stuff I own some cattle I've got some crypto I've got some blueberry bushes and I suddenly realized I hadn't put any of those on because it's so small I haven't put any of them on a piece of paper and I did last week I thought huh I better put down those account numbers and where they and yeah and and, and uh, so so when you're doing the process it's actually just good housekeeping as well I think we should probably all just it's good housekeeping irrespective of uh, of, of how you feel about death just having your admin in order is probably a good idea your executor will thank you when they're dealing with that. But don't let that be the enemy. You know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm. Start with just a small step. You don't have to list <laughs> list everything. Um, I, I also enjoy dabbling in these different things, and that made me think, oh, I haven't listed that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Life Talks is it's a wonderful yeah. place to start listing these things and just start having these conversations. Yeah. Start, uh, start taking ownership, mm. I guess. And I think it is. Have the conversation because it's not an if. It's a win. And, you know, if you've got problems with death, go seek counseling or something, but it's going to happen. So at least make sure that, that, that the way you leave the world is, is the way you want to. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Maya.